Welcome to the Unsuccess Podcast, a podcast where we talk about ministry and faith here in Portland, Oregon. I'm David Libby. And I am Josh Hawk. And today we have a very special guest, one of one of your friends. Yeah, before I introduce him, it's been a while since we've been in the studio, man. We haven't we do yeah, we just talked about this. It's um it's been over two months since we've recorded one of these. I was I was actually setting up and I was like, I don't I don't know if I remember how to do this, but we never really knew how to do this, did we? <laughs> No, we're, we're still... We we're don't know what we're doing. We're, so, what episode is this? This is like 33? Th- yeah, we're, yeah, we're in the 30s. We've, I mean, yeah. midlife crisis right now. We've done... <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you hit 30. We've done a lot of these, and we still don't uh, know what we're doing. This is this is one of my joys, though, man, getting to talk with, um, talk with people doing... Uh, ministry and doing God's work of all kind. Yeah, so so our guest today is John Howell. John, thanks for being on. Glad to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so, John, tell us about uh, what you do and where you're from. Sure. So I am a, uh, um, a pastor in Medford, Oregon, of uh, the Rising Church, and I am also the uh, owner, general manager, um, head bathroom cleaner of Rise Coffee House. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um so, so Rising Church, Rise Coffee House. I imagine they're connected. They are. Way. They are. Yeah. So, um, uh, the Rising Church has been a church uh, for about eighty-eight years, and um, I stepped in 88? as a, eighty-eight years. Yep. And um, I stepped in um, four and a half years ago as a as the lead pastor, and um, uh, through the course of a couple of different events, um, we decided to convert our building into a uh, coffee house. So that's what we did. Yeah. I love that. Oh, you told the story about our superintendent, I think, one time where you kind of started tearing stuff out or ripping stuff out. And then he came and saw it and he goes, well, it looks like we're going to build a coffee house down here now, huh? Yeah, I um, I, I figured I I could always put up more drywall, but I wanted him to see the the picture of what it could be, and it's easier to see the picture if there's no drywall in the way. Right. So, so, you, you, so you just figured if I if I tear everything down, then there's no going back. So let's let's just tear it down, and then he'll see it, and he'll be like, well, I guess I guess we have to do this thing then. Well, no, I am. Um, um, it sounds like that, right? That's not really. <laughs> that, the, that's how I just guessed that because that's what I would have done. <laughs> yeah, no, I am. Um, I had worked really hard to try to decide what to do with the building. It was mm. a. Uh, it needed a lot of repairs to be done to it, and um, and, and in, as do most older buildings. And so, you know, one of the things we realized was that if we're if we're going to um, actually do something effective with this building. Um, then it's going to have to take a lot of effort to do that. So tearing down the drywall um, was just, you know, there's a, there's a, a fake wall that was there already. So that fake wall came out, and we saw the hole that that fake wall left. So we we're like, well, we might as well just take the rest of it out. So, yeah. yeah. Tell us, uh, tell us, well, why Coffee House? Because a lot of a lot of churches have done that in Portland, either like had a coffee house ministry or, or like a bar ministry or something like where, where did that idea come from and why did um, you and your church feel called down that road? Sure. So um, I, I think it's important to, 
to differentiate between a church with a coffee house uh, or a coffee shop attached to it versus a coffee house that a church exists in. I think there's a big difference in that. And so um, uh, when I first came, uh, the church is a is a restart church, which means that previously it hasn't done very well. Um, historically, it's just been a, a church that has never... Um, been effective at connecting with the community. Um, it's sort of been its own little um, isolated group. Um, and so one of the things that I really wanted to do was find a way for that a church to connect with the community. It's in a very unique neighborhood. Um, everybody in that neighborhood, uh, they either walk to school, there's an elementary school a block away, so they all walk to that school. Um, and then two blocks away, there's a junior high school, and so they all walk to that. Uh, it's situated between um, an incredible donut shop, which is um, you know right next door, then a community, a little quality market that's up the way. And so it's a very mobile community, but our our church, the best idea that they had had to connect with those kids and connect with those families was to stand on a street corner um, after school was over, hand out um, cans of pop and full-size candy bars. Not the cheap ones, not the little ones, but the full-size candy bars. Lucky kids. Uh, yeah, that was the best idea they had. And and in 2016, 15, I didn't think that that was the right direction that we wanted to do to connect with that community. Right. So um, uh, we started praying about what to do, and um, initially we wanted to sell the building. So you know, you know, it made sense to sell the building, move to a different location, and use those resources, those financial resources, to do something else. Um, but God did not. Um, God had other ideas on that, and so in looking at the coffee house, we just realized this would be a way that we could serve the community of Medford. Um, in a way that um, would allow us to connect to them on a regular basis um, and serve them really well. And so that's what we did. Yeah. Nice. John, something that strikes me, I've been to the coffee, the coffee house down there. And some, I mean, the first thing that strikes me is it's, it's really good. And I, oh, I've read a book or parts of a book by John Mark Comer, a pastor here in Portland, um, I, uh, I forget what maybe it's Garden City. I think was the book that I was reading oh, yeah. through, and and he said, you know, one of the questions that he gets is, oh, how you know, how do we make this business or this product Christian? You know, and often what you'll see is like, oh yeah, you put a fish sticker on it, you know, or you somehow brand it with with Christianese lingo. Um, and his response has been, man, if you want to be a leather worker, and if you're a Christian. He goes, go out and make the best leather possible. Like the the your products, let your products speak for themselves. Um, you know, and don't try to kind of wash down some of the stuff. And and I think we've we've done a, you know, we've tried to really separate Christianity from culture in such a way that you have a subculture rather than allowing Christians to freely express themselves in you know. Um, in in the arts and, and in business um, within within the culture and that being okay and so when I walk into the coffee house the the rise coffee house like it's one of if not the best coffee houses in Medford yeah so um, <clears throat> thanks for saying that 
I think it's important to recognize that that you know we we toss around a word called excellence in the church yeah. and and trying to figure out what that looks like and what does it mean to be excellent and and we put all sorts of parameters on that um, and and so the framework that I operate off of is I want to do the very best I possibly can with the limited resources that I have um, and, and see if that will be. If that's if that's okay, if it's enough, it's enough. If it's not, then I'm not going to worry about it because it's the very best that I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, we we just got voted one of the top five uh, coffee houses or coffee shops in Medford. Um, of that, three of them are the chains. So Dutch Brothers, Human Being, Black Rock. Those are chains. The other two, the other one is um, uh, it's a it's a well established second wave shop. Um, maybe two, 2.5 wave. Um, and we're really the only legitimate third wave shop on that list. And I think we got that way by just being very intentional and purposeful um, and strategic about what we're going to offer and how we're going to do it and doing those things to the mm. best of our ability. So, so do, do your cops, do you stamp them with Jesus loves you on them? No, <laughs> no, no. Um, and we don't even really tell people that we're a church um, unless they ask for it. Um, people have been driving by this building location for, you know, 80 years or so. And so they've known it's a church. Um, uh, and so when they walk in, we oftentimes get asked um Mm-hmm. You know, it didn't think she used to be an old church. You would say, oh, yeah, it used to be an old church. Um, and we, um, as the conversation goes on, sometimes we let them know that it still is a church. Mm-hmm. The church still meets there. Uh, but sometimes it's just not important. Um, mm-hmm. They just need to know that this is a good place to come. Yeah. It's rise, rise is a brilliant name, too, by the way. Yeah. Because you rise and get your coffee, but also um, it's... Uh, it's it, y- y- Usually, if you try to try to stick a Christian-y word into a business, it always sounds super hokey. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it there. Well, thanks. Um, just just so you know, it is an acronym because as a pastor, I don't know how to create things without acronyms. Right. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. is um, it is it a terrible acronym? Because most of them are. I don't know. Well, let's see. I'm going to judge you. Yeah. You, please, please. <laughs> um, so, Rise stands for Reflect, Invest, Serve, Equip. So we want to reflect Jesus in everything we do and say. We want to invest in uh, relationships. We want to serve others. We want to equip disciples. Um, and this idea of reflect, invest, serve, equip, um, that goes the same way with coffee. We want to reflect the very best that the coffee has to offer people. We want to invest in the people who um, can make that quality coffee. So all of our coffee is single sourced. Um, and we uh, have invested heavily in a um, in a relationship with our roaster so that we can ensure that we provide the best quality standards. Um, we want to serve others, you know, we want to serve the people that come in in a way that it's not your typical coffee shop, but really the coffee is secondary to the relationships we build with people. Uh, and then we also want to equip the people that come for coffee to be able to, you know, um, use those resources there at the coffee house for things far beyond just having coffee. We want them to use it for business meetings and for gatherings and for birthday parties and bridal showers and wedding receptions. And, you know, we want to support foster care in the Valley. And so that's where some things we equip people to be able to connect with their community better. And so reflect, invest, serve, equip, rise. 
So how is your uh, your paradigm, your your thoughts on like on church and ministry? Um, how's that evolved and changed over the last couple years? Like what? Okay, here's an example. So one might assume that you go, okay, well, we need to do something about this small church here. Um, in order to jumpstart it, to give it new life, let's start a coffee house ministry. Yeah. Um, and th- th- that's not what, and maybe that was early on, you know, some of the thinkings and some of the people's thoughts, you know, but it, it seems like that's not what it's kind of turned out or evolved into. Right. So um, I spent four years on staff at a, a fairly large church, um, about 3,500 to 4,500 people in it um, as a staff pastor. Um, and I got to see a lot of, of people come to know Jesus. But one thing that sort of struck me and sort of stuck with me is this idea that uh, while people were coming to know Jesus, they didn't have... Um, the they were sort of, well, this is our church, and we were separate from the community. And so um, in a large church, you could sort of see that. Um, but in a small church, that is magnified 100 times fold. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so yeah. that, you know, that idea that it's we're just not connected with the community, that sort of bothered me a lot. Um, really what it came down to was the coffee house was just a vehicle that we used to build relationships within the community. Um, so I, um, I, I think honestly, if we were in a, um, in an environment where, you know, if we're in Philadelphia, maybe we'd had a cheesesteak stand. I don't know. You know what I mean? Um, if we were, you know, it just, you know, if we were down in Texas, we might have a barbecue place. I don't, I don't know what it was, but it just, coffee seemed to be that perfect vehicle for us uh, because we have such a, a high coffee culture in Medford. Plus, um, coffee, coffee does a couple things that um, I think is really significant to understand. What it does is it allows people to um, engage with others without having to at a very at a very low level of investment in it and without having to really um, spend a lot of time there. So I could meet you for coffee and we could talk for a half hour and it could cost me six dollars if I'm generous, you know, and 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 that's that. You know what I mean? Um, I could spend three hours with you, you know, and we can have, you know, ten dollars worth of coffee, but it's it's a very low investment on that to build the relationships with them. Yeah, I also find, and I I don't really know how to explain this. Uh, if you've if you've been in the situation, you know it. Um, for some reason, like a, as a pastor, I meet with people a lot. They they email me. They say, "Look, I need to talk to a pastor right now. I need to talk to a pastor yesterday." Like there, someone's going through a crisis, or someone's really ticked about something they heard in culture or they're like there there's all kinds of things or they just want to meet and there's a tension just meeting with them one-on-one and you know hopefully and usually i'm like i'm pretty good in those situations like we that that goes away but for some reason having a hot drink like both of you having a drink uh, coffee or tea or whatever it is, somehow makes that moment not as tense. Like the meeting is easier because we both have a drink, and I don't know why that is. I think the same thing is true sitting down at a meal, but 
it's it's crazy. Like I, I almost exclusively meet for coffee at this point because it it lowers the barrier and the awkwardness and the tension. Do you, do you notice that? I do. Um, in fact, I would um, I would say that it, what it does is allows you to um, operate on neutral ground. It even it evens the playing field. You know, we all we have the ability to. Hey, I'm having coffee. You're having coffee. This is just a casual conversation between friends. This is not a formal setting. This is just relax. We're just sort of hanging out and doing this. Um, and it lowers that um, that tension that people might feel. Um, uh, in, in other situations, you know, if you come into a pastor's study, uh, you have sit down and, you know, that could be a little bit more intimidating than just sitting across them and having coffee. So, yeah, that's true. That makes sense. I like those those meetings tend to start out pretty rough. But um, if if you can make it feel a lot more casual right at the start. Yeah, I well, that makes sense. I think I think a big thing with uh, it. With coffee allows you to meet people where they are. Really, if you, if we look at coffee, it is a um, it is a fairy tale uh, kind of drink. It is a uh, uh, it is we're taking and creating a potion out of these magical bre- magical <laughs> beans that bring people back to life. Right, uh, that's really what it is. It's sort of like a fairy tale experience there. And if you can provide really good coffee for people, um, that just enhances that experience for them. And if you could build into it an environment where people could talk freely um, and they can feel comfortable in, that's that adds to it. And within that environment, if that's well lit and well designed um, and it's beautiful, then when you have those moments of silence, those awkward times when people are struggling with words and struggling to understand what to say, um, though that the beauty of the place allows it to speak as well. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it totally does. And um, I know I've I've had I've had this conversation with people otherwise and a couple of times i got well i don't drink coffee okay tea or a smoothie or what like the same idea i mean you might disagree with me because you're super into coffee but uh like just the the fact that you're sharing together in the moment um sharing a drink together like that's what makes the moment uh makes makes the conversation easier yeah so um one of my favorite stories is i had a i had a local pastor who um he just had a heart for our our police department uh when we first opened up and so he said hey um can i use your we have a little conference room to the side that could sit eight to six to eight people in it comfortably eight to ten if you pack them in there and he goes can we just use this um, to, you know, once we have a little, you know, time for our police officers to come in off duty and they could sort of connect there. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. That's what it's there for. And so, um, police officers are not typically, um, the best at being vulnerable and opening up. They, they sort of, they sort of have to, um, be in the right situation for that to work well for them. And so uh, it was interesting to me as they would as they would gather. At first it was a couple, two or three, and then four or five showed up. And then um, that led to, you know, more, you know, coming depending on when they could. 
they, they begin to talk in there, and that's that's really what it is. They may not, whether it's you're drinking tea or water or, or coffee or whatever it is, that, um, that act creates conversation in ways that I don't fully understand either, but it, it right. does. Right. So I guess uh, pushing this further then, um, this is for you a new kind of church. Like this is this is a different sort of church than you've led in the past. Um, how do you? I we we kind of touched on this before, but um, uh, what you're describing sounds like a, a lot of what church should be, but this is in a completely uh. different format. You're you're running what's essentially a business, but mm. but you're also leading church through it like how how are you seeing um uh ministry new and different now in your life and uh what things have you learned in the past few years through this yeah and one question i have to kind of add to that um one would assume that your church and congregation has just kind of exploded and flourished kind of out of this and yeah so um one would like to assume that, right? Um, <laughs> so uh, I guess maybe it's important to articulate a couple of things about what uh, what exactly happens at the shop. Um, from from six a.m. Uh, to six p.m. Monday through Saturday, uh, the the building is used as a coffee shop. It is a legitimate coffee shop. It is a uh, fully functioning in every way you can do. We have uh, we are completely third wave, which means we weigh shots, we time our shots, um, we use one size, um, we handcraft um, our uh, the majority of our syrups, and what we can't handcraft, we buy quality syrup for. Um, so. Um, Monday through Saturday it's that way. On Sunday mornings, though, the shop is closed, and uh, the Rising Church gathers there, and um, we we connect on Sunday morning at ten o'clock. And so, what happens on Sunday morning is, uh, uh, we the the Rising Church as a restart. It was um, uh, it was a very traditional church. So when I came there in two thousand fourteen. Um, for the first six months, it it looked like a regular church. Uh, we had a a portable organ that we um, brought up and and we sang hymns and nice. and that was that. <laughs> uh, it was exactly like that. And then um, I started to make some changes to say, hey, how could we be more uh, like Jesus and not. Uh, what we're doing right now, and but John, uh, portable organ is the most like Jesus. I I I, I don't know if he had one of those. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and so um, we we made a decision to um, uh, to leave that building and go to a local elementary school yeah. and start acting like a true church plant, um, and that grew the congregation. Um, uh, in downward in our growth. Um, and then it, you know, Wait, God, you grew downward. Oh yeah. Yep. You grew downward. Um, some people that, um, just didn't want to make that change, decided to leave a uh, good people. They love Jesus, uh, but they couldn't make the change from the traditional church to a church plant style. Um, 
And so we we grew downward in that and went to this um, elementary school and set up tear down every single week for um, about two years. Uh, in the meantime, we were remodeling the coffee house, which took 16 months, um, $1,500 worth of donuts, and um, <laughs> uh, tons story. of YouTube videos trying to figure out how to do it, right? Um, and so we got it all done. And then... The coffee shop is up and running, and it became clear for the church that the church needed to move back to the coffee house, um, and it just God had not released us from that building. And so, again, we made the transition to um, move from the elementary school back to what is now the coffee house, and we grew downward again in that way. Uh, lost some people who said, "Hey, I I just can't see us being effective there." And um, uh, I'm not, I have a very, um, um, I don't have a problem taking risks. And so um, I figured that was a good time to to change our format on Sunday mornings. So on Sunday morning, rather than doing a, a standardized where you come in, you worship, um, sing some songs, and then the pastor preaches for 20 minutes to 45 minutes, depending on where he's at, and then everybody leaves. Um, I changed the format from uh, so that we come in, we we talk with each other, we we have worship for uh, about 20, 25 minutes, and then I preach a message for, for about 10 to 15 minutes, most likely 15 minutes, but I, in my mind, it's always 10. <laughs> and... Um, uh, and then we sit around the tables, uh, we gather in groups of four to six in the coffee house, uh, and we discuss the passage. And we discuss it through the framework of, uh, first off, what did, um, you know, how can we apply this to ourselves? Is this descriptive? Is this prescriptive? What are we doing there? How, how do we apply this to ourselves? Um, and the second thing is, how do we share it with someone else? Uh, and then the third framework is, how do we pray for each other at the table and, uh, and the needs that we have at the table? And so we come back and forth in between each one of those ideas, and we sort of um, discuss things. And sometimes... Um, how we apply it to ourselves and how we share with others, they meld into the conversation naturally. And so we discuss all that at one time, but that's sort of how church has changed for us significantly. Yeah. John, um, there was a lot of, or a few times where you grew downward. Um, and, and it, it strikes me because you, like you now, a couple years later, a couple years into the road, like, you still don't have a, a large group gathering, um, and yet, yet you like you you should. One would assume you should, and this is like being in relationship with you over the last couple of years. Like it's a head scratcher because you are doing everything you're supposed to do. Like you you started the cool hip coffee shop. And like you, you are doing it right. You're connecting with people in the community on, on a level that that church. And I think most of the churches in, in the Medford and most churches period never actually get the opportunity to, or never able to do that. So you're connecting with people in a real way. And yet your results are they're They're not what the, 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 the instruction manual or the, the book on how to effectively plant and run and start a new church, like they're not that. Um, and, but, 
but God is still working in and through that. Um, does does that? Yeah. Am I off base or? No. Um, so. So yeah, according to church growth, um, uh, according to the church church growth playbook, um, there's something terribly wrong with what we're doing. You know what I mean, um, it just doesn't fit the paradigm. But you've um, done everything that you're supposed to. Absolutely. You know, well, maybe not everything, but I, I've I've worked hard to try to be as um, um, effective as we can. I think um, you know, I think it's a different perspective on what we're trying to do, a different playbook, if you will. Um, uh, I, I really, um, like, I'll share this with you. In January, um, the second week of January, I preached a message on the Lord's Prayer. And um, I talked about the 10 different types of prayer that there were that you could go through in, in the Lord's Prayer and how you could pray to them. And then we, as a, as a group, we pray the Lord's Prayer. And I prayed a prayer of dismissal uh, after we had finished our discussion time. And I thought everybody would go home. And um, <laughs> they didn't. Um, instead, I had uh, one couple come up to me, a, a husband come up to me and say, Hey, you know, you've been teaching us about how to live out our faith and how to be serving the people, how to fulfill our calling. Um, and so... Um, we, my wife and I have been talking and, and we really feel called to a, um, to work with this group over here that is, um, economically challenged. And, uh, and so I'm going to interview for a job. Um, it's in a different city, a different town, um, that, you know, if I get the job, we'll have to be moving to go with it. And I said, absolutely. Let's pray for you. So I gathered all the men up. We laid hands on the dude and uh, prayed for him. Um, and it was, it was amazing. I thought that was, that's a good experience. And as we got done with that, another guy who was in that group says, you know, I wasn't really going to talk about this yet, but, um, I really, um, my wife had been praying for the last year and, you know, we really feel called to, uh, go and serve in this orphanage down in Mexico. And uh, so we're going to be leaving to go down there and serve that. And I'm like, great, uh, let's pray for you too. And so we prayed for them too. Um, and that's super exciting. And then a third guy goes, you know, you can be praying for us too because we're, we're considering starting a house church. You know, you've been teaching us about being a community uh, rather than commuters. Um, and, you know, that's really resonated well with us. And so I'm like, fine, we will pray for you too. <laughs> and so two out of those three people have now been sent out um, and they're, they're gone. So we're constantly giving away our congregation um, uh, either giving away our congregation or making the congregation mad so they go away. That's sort of how it goes. Sure. Yeah. No, that's so fascinating. I uh, I, I try and impart this. I've I've grown our church downward pretty rapidly as well. Um, it's uh, the thing about it is though, um, it, it needs to be that mental reframing of mm. we're not we're not losing people. God's putting them in a different place. And we're like, we've helped charge them up and we're sending them out now mm -hmm. and they're going to do what God's calling them to do elsewhere. And if we look at that and think that's a failure, then we've failed mm -hmm. because, because God's doing something big for them and in the world through them. And 
like if if that keeps happening and that closes our doors and that means that God's doing things all over North America and all around the world, great, awesome, wonderful. But mm-hmm. it, it has to be that reframing of um, our like the idea that's been in church world so long, which is we we grow our church really big mm-hmm. and then people stay there for 50 years. Sometimes sometimes God has different ways of doing that and sometimes it's like we like we impart this stuff in people and they take that and they go with it. And it sounds like that just happened to <laughs> happen all at the yeah. same time for you, which is tough but but awesome if you can if you can help everyone see what's happening there. Yeah. What's being done. One one of the themes that seems to kind of emerge, and John, you and I were talking about that this morning a little bit, is that of control. Yeah. You know, and that goes, of course, beyond the the church world, and that starts to kind of hit at our own personalities, whether, you know, we're looking to start a business or whether we're, you know, just in what whatever profession that that we find ourselves in we we like control in relationships we like control and john you had mentioned something earlier earlier to me privately about having to learn how to hold these things loosely yeah yeah so um i hold on to the i i what i was saying is i try to hold on to the church and to the coffee house uh with an open hand um if i close my hand then it becomes um, something that's very possessive um, that I that I I'm trying to own it. I'm trying to, you know, have a high. I, I want to have a high level of ownership of it, um, but it it becomes more than just that. It becomes something that is who I am and who I'm wrapped up in. But if I can hold it loosely, then I can always remember that it is God. Um, and one of the ways that I can that I um, that I have to teach myself to hold it loosely is that. Um, my relationship with Jesus, I have to hold on to Jesus's hand tightly on it so I could hold on to other things loosely. Does that make sense? In any way, I just have to, um, when I, when I start to get, uh, when I start looking backwards, uh, in my life and I get a little discouraged because of all the things that could have been done better, or I start looking forward, um, in life and I start thinking about, you know, all the what ifs and I start getting a little anxious about that. The only, the only thing I can do is to hold on to Jesus's hand tighter so that, um, all this other stuff becomes looser in my hand. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just I was just reading that uh, Max Lucado's book on anxiety. Do not be anxious. His recent book. I read it last night. Literally, I was reading that, and he was talking about the chapter in John fifteen, I believe, about being attaching ourselves to the the vine yeah. as branches. And he said we are not called or we're not asked to be fruitful, but we're asked to be faithful. Just like the branches aren't actually asked to to bear fruit there, there has to stay connected to the vine. And if, if the branches are trying to push out the fruit, the fruit doesn't come from the branches. It comes from the vine through the branches. And so our job as branches is not to push out fruit. It's not to, to ensure results. Our job is just to stay to hold on to Jesus hand tightly in order to stay firmly connected to the source, to the vine. Um, and then 
allow what whatever come what may, you know, like and and learn to be okay with the fruit or what wh- whatever season it is, whatever is the result. I I think um you know, I think one of the things that is uh significant about uh watching people being sent out is, you know, as a church, we have, we have an idea. Uh, we want to bring people in, build them up and send them out. You know, that's a nice cliche kind of phrase right there. Bring people in, build them up, send them out. And we can replicate that over and over again. Um, but the reality is, um, when you're holding tightly to Jesus hand and, and loosely to everything else, you recognize that it is God who brings people in, on it, and you recognize that it is God who's building people up, and then it is God who is sending them out again, and it it moves that transference of power and control from what I can do to what God is doing, and, and that's really a significant thing to recognize. Oh, that's so good. But it's hard to to do, like even like it, it's great in theory, but then like I I don't know I've. I had a situation this last weekend, you know, somewhat personally, um, kind of involving, uh, involving some personal matters and kind of my wife called me out on, on some stuff and like, Josh, what, like why you're trying to control things, you know, or you're trying to hold on too tightly. And like, ah, I thought I had learned already to, to let go of things and to hold tightly to Jesus, but it, it's hard sometimes. Like we, I, there, there seems to be something kind of innate. Maybe it's just me, um, of like wanting, or maybe even having like needing to control outcomes. Um, and so, how, like, how do we, how do we do that? How do we get to that point where, where we are okay? And is, is there a moment when we like say yes, finally? I am secure in my relationship with Jesus to the point where it, the the outcome doesn't doesn't matter. Well, I think that there's I think there's a couple things wrong with the idea of saying that I'm okay. Uh, I'm not okay. I mean, I I I look at the church and I and I am. Um, um, and I, I wonder what in the world is God doing here? Um, you know, I look at the coffee house and I'm like, uh, okay, uh, God, you are doing something here and I cannot see it. I'm, um, I will candidly admit that, um, uh, I like to be able to look at things and analyze things and see trends and, and see, you know, positives uh-huh. and negatives that are going on. I don't like to do the, uh, a strength, the weakness, opportunities, threats on it. I like to, I like to do that. Um, but I, I can, I have a hard time articulating in this moment right now, uh, what God is doing in and through, mm. uh, the ministry of the church and the coffee house, because mm. it's so unlike anything I've ever really mm. come to terms with. And so, um, all I can do is listen to the stories that God brings to me um, and then try to tell those same stories on to others. And what I'm finding is, uh, as a conveyor of the stories of what God is doing uh, in the lives of others, I'm also able to tell the story of what God is doing in my life mm-hmm. and the life of those, those ministries. Is that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I think the, the idea uh, of saying, well, 
I'm fine. Well, it's not. I mean, ministry is nothing more. I heard this said a couple weeks ago that ministry is uh, is blood, it is pain, it is suffering, and by the grace of God, we are uh, living in joy through what Jesus is doing in and through that blood and pain and suffering. So, mm. it's true. It's almost like uh, like taking up your cross should involve some sort of pain and suffering, huh? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, didn't didn't I read somewhere that we're supposed to do that? What is it yearly or? Day, daily, right? To take up our cross. I think that's in a book somewhere. Daily. Somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Been around a while. <laughs> I, I think that, I think we don't, I, I think probably one of the problems we run into in the church, if you want me to talk about that, is this idea that we have, we don't really want to suffer. It's not yeah, something that's yeah, part of our yeah, culture. Yeah. Um, and suffering is not, is not, if you're suffering, if you're in pain, if you're, if you're hurting, if you're bleeding and, and buckets of blood are flowing through your uh, sanctuary on Sunday mornings, mm-hmm. then you're probably not um, uh, uh, successful. If it's actual Buckets of blood. You need counseling, but <laughs> if it's you know this idea, you're oh, not doing that right. We're not supposed to. Do, is that no, why no. people are leaving our church? <laughs> yeah, that may be it. Oh, I, um, but bad. But the idea is, you know, suffering has to be uh, an integral part of our Christian faith yeah. because that is what I mean. Our perseverance is built up through the suffering. That's how we grow in faith. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's a truth that goes, you know, beyond just the church, you know, and, and I think culturally and this is probably where like the church is actually conditioned and influenced by the culture in this way where uh, nobody wants to suffer. Nobody wants to fail. Nobody wants to be unsuccessful. And so we're actually conditioned our, our worldview, especially in our country. And we talked to Joel Kibler, you know, a couple episodes back, David, yeah. on uh on this American dream that we're born into, that we're born with and around, that like we we are supposed to go out and achieve to to find success in in some way, even if it's just you know a feel good success. Um, it doesn't have to necessarily be monetary success or monetary gain, but that is what we're conditioned to think, and and the. The church is no different than the culture around us, you know, like, oh, well, if you're living right, then God's going to bless you, you know, and you're not going to go with without need. And uh, um, and there won't be there won't be suffering. But but there's a there's a deeper spirituality. There's a deeper place that that I'm coming to realize and coming to see that it's the kingdom of God that Jesus was trying to teach us to show us that it's it, it's only through suffering it's only as we were able to truly surrender and relinquish our control over outcomes that we can experience as paul says in philippians 4 that peace of god that surpasses all understanding it defies reason it defies logic and it shouldn't be that way and yet somehow mm-hmm. when we are able to Oh, to journey in and through the suffering, there's this peace that that God fills our lives with, and and I see it in in people's lives. I I still feel like I'm striving for it, but 
like Linda Joe is one of those ones, you know, that we interviewed, one of the first people that we talked with, who's somebody who just, she, she just, it, it, the peace just seems to permeate from, from her life and to say, wow, you know, I, I want, I want that. Um, and realizing that the only way to get that peace is to let go, is, is to relinquish control. And, and it's hard. It, it's, it's a struggle, but, um, but there's a deeper truth definitely there that we are called towards. Right. Right. So, um, I guess as we wrap up, we're pretty close to time. Um, I, I don't know what I just looked down at. I, I thought my phone was there. <laughs> I just looked at a table and said it's about time, but it it <laughs> it feels like we're wrapping up. Um, we'll keep this all in. It's not going to make sense on the podcast. Um, so tell me, uh, I just I can't get over the fact that when you were describing what's happening at yeah, your coffee yeah, house. Yeah. That that to me yeah. felt like church. Yeah, but it doesn't. Every, it, everything that you were describing, and then we started talking about church, and you were talking about the Sunday morning worship, yeah. which is also church. But what I'm hearing from what you're describing at the coffee house, uh, making connections with police officers and making connections with uh, other people in the community, and like um, getting into a vulnerable place. That to me sounds like church, but it doesn't fit in like a SWOT analysis. Yeah. So um, explain a SWOT analysis. That's the strength, weakness, opportunity, oh, okay. threats. Okay. Sorry. So um, uh, I I I almost wonder if we need to redefine what um, uh, if we need to take a step back and look at what church is about look at the minimum ecclesiology of what it looks like to be a church um, and to act like a church and to operate within the construct in order to call ourselves a church. You know, um, uh, you know, obviously um, communion has to be part of that. And so when I look at what we're doing at the coffee house, um, we actually had a an open uh, communion for the coffee house on New Year's Eve. Uh, it said, invited everybody who comes to the coffee house to come to that. Um, and there's people who came to that open communion that I've, I've never seen before. I have no idea who they are, um, but they, they came to that. Um, but is, I don't know if I could call serving coffee to someone communion because there's not the significance of, uh, of what is going on there that's not being articulated but it is on the other side of that um, so it may not um, it may not fall underneath the construct of what a church is but it definitely falls underneath the construct of being the church of being the body of Christ to the community and that's where I think the difference comes into I think Sunday I think Sunday morning is no longer sacred I don't think um, I don't think that that's uh, it, it doesn't matter if it's Sunday morning or Monday night or Thursday night or or Sunday night it doesn't matter on that um, but what is sacred is the the things that are the core principles of of being a church you know do you are you are you having fellowship with each other are you are you 
uh, having communion with each other? Um, are you experiencing teaching of uh, the word of God to each other? Are you growing with each other? Those are the things that make up the what it means to be a church. Um, but the act of being the church to the community, I think that's seen through the coffee house. Well, and, and something that strikes me too is that you've actually created an environment in which other people can church, if we use that as a verb, within. That is completely out of your control now. Like, so you have your programming elements, like you, you have no control over who comes in now the door, you know, and, and the conversations that they have, you know, like as I think as pastors and as leaders, we like to control those conversations, but you've created, or you've been part of a, a, a team that's created this environment that will allow that. And then every, but, but it's whatever it is, you know, in whoever comes. And so God's at work, but it's, it's something on another playing field, and it doesn't get reflected. Can, it like, it, no, it doesn't get reflected in your, um, kind of in your statistics or in your numbers or in necessarily in, in your in analysis. You know, say somebody comes to Christ in your coffee shop because another local pastor invited them there that's that that local pastor gets the credit for it and you yeah. don't necessarily get to count that but that's god working and that that's a joint effort somehow you know and you've worked to create an environment in which church can truly happen you know that communion can happen i think um yeah so from a statistical standpoint from a you know how do you report this how do you document this you know because that's what we're trained to do as pastors is, you know, how does this fit within your statistical reports and how do you, how do you account for that? Um, you know, the question I have is, do I, do I look at the, you know, 30 to 40 people that come to the church, um, between 10 AM and 11 AM yeah. on Sunday morning, or do I look at the, uh, five to 7,000 people upwards of 10,000 people every single month that are impacted by the coffee house. Yeah, right. You know, um, do I look at, do I look at, you know, how many people, um, um, I was able to counsel this month, um, in, within the construct of the church, or do I look at the, you know, 15 to 20, 30 pastors that are bringing people in to the coffee house every week to do counseling with whose lives are being changed. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, we had a guy a couple weeks ago um, who, you know, he was meeting with the pastor and gave his life to Jesus there. So do I count that for me or or what do I do? Right. You know, how, do how do I do that? I'd like to count it on my sheet, but that's not fair. You know, and, you know, Josh, you talked about not being able to control things. That's exactly right. We have a uh, cannabis is a huge uh, growth industry for us down there. And so we have a, um, a couple weeks ago, we had a, um, a rep come in and meet with some of the cannabis growers down there. And they're in our shop for three hours and they're testing edibles, which is a little, I mean, that's, that's going on in the church. And I didn't realize that's what they're going to do. And I uh -huh. may be uncomfortable, but then they've kept coming back and they've had, uh, they've been having their meetings there and we're able to pour into them and love on them and get to know them and, and share the love of Jesus with them. And, and they would never set foot in any kind of church ever on it. Just so happens that for that one three hour period, it was a little awkward for us. Well, know? here's, here's, here's what you do then. You've got, you've got rise, which is your coffee shop. You, you spin off and make a church plant called chill 
or and high. That's, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> and that's uh, that's your that's your cannabis ministry. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not sure that would work well within our denomination, uh, but I tell you what, that'd be a great way to raise funds. Just a, sister, a sister organization or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're. We're not a wing of the Wesleyan Church. Yeah, we're we're our own thing for legal reasons. But we no, this is so never going to happen. If any Wesleyan leaders are listening, it's not real. But but it could be if somebody's out there and has a heart to plant a church in Medford called Higher Chill. Yeah, like there's a coffee <laughs> coffee house that could be a great partner in that. <laughs> oh oh man. man, I'm sure. Well, there's that one pot church. You heard about that? There's, yeah. it, it was it was pretty big news. Um, so I mean, but uh, yeah, the groundwork's that, laid. Wow, we we are off. But I'd like topic. going back where where you 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 don't have control over that, but God, like God, is still at work, yeah. you know. And yeah. and you're exactly right, John. Where like you are connecting with people, um, or people are connecting with each other. In a way that would never happen on, you know, a traditional Sunday morning church, you know, and that don't happen with, you know, that um, with your meetings on Sunday morning, but they're happening kind of throughout the week. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I am. Um, I think that's great. I I like to say to people because um, uh, every so often there will be someone who's asking about amount of people in worship or whatever. And like, I, I've started realizing there's not much you can say back that will encourage someone who's worried about numbers. And our church is doing fine. Like that's not, um, that's not really a criticism, but, uh, but I've started telling stories because I'll have meetings at a coffee shop a lot with someone who's like in the middle of a rough divorce or, or, um, you know, like um, having serious trouble with rent or is having uh, severe problems mentally or whatever. Like there's there's some really like intense, deep, intimate conversations and and uh, um, and I'm in a place in that moment where um. Like, I have the the gift, the joy of giving them the peace of Christ in a way that wouldn't happen on mm-hmm. Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And I think of some of the people that I see on Sunday mornings as they come in mm-hmm. and I shake their hand and, you know, they don't talk to anyone and then they leave and I shake their hand and they don't talk to anyone. And I'm like, you know, if if we're... In the business of counting heads, that's one thing. But man, God is doing something so much bigger, it seems like, over here mm-hmm. than just having, you know, this this family that we can check on an attendance record or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I I think I think the focus on stories needs to be um, a much bigger focus. I think if uh, if my church was to close up tomorrow and you know that won't happen but if it if it were there are some 
some moments in the past four years that I've had the great privilege of, of seeing how God has changed and transformed people in in such a huge, amazing, permanent way. And, I mean, that's so much more worth it, you know? Yeah. That's so much bigger of a thing. And that's that's, I think, where what I was thinking when I said I, I, I see church in, in coffee houses. I see I see church happening in these moments, these more intimate around a table moments. And y- you don't always capture that on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is extremely important, but that's um church is happening in much different ways and I think reimagining that is important for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and the the thing that I'm learning is that both are needed, you know, like that Sunday morning gathering, God is definitely at work in and through that still throughout our country, but it's learning to to see and um to see how he's at work in, in other places and be okay with that and learning then how to I don't know, collaborate on a deeper level with those and marry the two together at times and right. um, Yeah. Well, uh, John, um, thanks, thanks for coming in. Uh, where can people find you online? Do you have uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, something like that? Yeah, so um, you can find the uh, Coffeehouse on Facebook and Instagram, um, as well as website, risecoffeehouse.com. So Rise Coffee House um, on Instagram and uh, The Rise Coffee on Facebook, I think it is. And then the Rising Church, um, same thing. Um, it's the rising nw, uh, org for our website, and then um, the Rising Church, Medford, Oregon, for uh, Facebook um, and Instagram. Fantastic. Yeah. And anytime any any of our listeners are going through the area of Medford, like check it out. It's definitely the best coffee in in the region. So. And and you're kind of a not kind of you are a coffee snob. Yeah, I am. <laughs> when when you said first. You you guys have really good coffee. I was like, oh, people don't understand what a compliment that is, because <laughs> yeah. you're not shy about it. No, you're you're Medford you're, doesn't appreciate what it's got. You'll I call think. a you'll call a spade a spade. If you have a bad cup of coffee, you call it a bad cup yep. of coffee. <laughs> yeah, I've never had a bad cup of coffee from John here, so that's great. That's great. Well, John, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, and for the Unsuccess Podcast, I'm David, and I'm Josh. 